This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. All right, we're about to jump into God's Word. Let's pray one more time. Just kind of get our focus back where it needs to be. That was a lot of fun. Great job, Aiden's team. Great job, Erica's team. Y'all both did great. Heavenly Father, you deserve all the glory, and I pray that you will, like a dish rag, ring this message so that every drop of glory goes to you from it. In Jesus' name, amen. So mountain climbers, glacier climbers, will all clip in like what you guys did as they trudge into the snow and press on. And the idea, and the team is trained so that if someone was to slip or fall, unlike what you guys did, the whole team will lock down and they will support the person who slipped. And it's a beautiful thing of how they work together through this this whole thing. But you know what? They're not clipped all together. Their purpose is not to support each other. That's just what they do. Their purpose is to move forward, to move upward, to get to someplace new, to get to higher elevations. That is the point of this team. And God is creating a people. He's creating a body, a church. And the purpose of the church is not to just take care of each other. That is what we do. But the purpose of the church is to gain ground in the world. It is to be a light, a city on a hill that everyone looks to and sees the love of Jesus Christ. And that is our purpose. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. Listen to how God talks about the church. As you, talking about us, come to him, Jesus, Who is Jesus? A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, who are we? You are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So who is Jesus? He is the cornerstone. A cornerstone was the first stone that was laid in a giant building. It was an enormous stone, weighed thousands of pounds. And it carried the majority of the weight of the building, but it was also cut so perfectly that it was the plumb line that the rest of the building would be square. It is the, the most important stone of the whole thing. And so Jesus is this cornerstone. He is the stone that was rejected by men, but is the most important according to the Father. And then on top of that, God is building, using each of us, like living stones, like bricks, building this building on top. And it's meant to be a temple, a spiritual house, a place where the world connects with Jesus. What is the mortar? What is the glue that holds us together? That glue is kindness. It's loving kindness. Look what Titus says. Chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, so these are qualities, attributes of God, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. There is nothing that we can do that will earn God's love or salvation. Nothing. 
We are wretches, filthy. We are born sinners, hopeless. And yet God gave undeserved mercy and grace out of his great loving kindness. That teaches us something. It also teaches us that the kindness that we give isn't just to people who deserve it. Just to people who will be able to give it back. But just like God's loving kindness, we give kindness without question. We give kindness to those who are hard to love. There are two areas that we might be blind to when it comes to kindness. Sometimes we are so mission-minded and we're always looking out for the strangers and we're going out and we're, we want to see who we can bless and we're, we'll cross the city, we'll cross oceans to reach someone for Jesus and we are looking over the heads of the people that the Lord has right in front of us. The people that he has put into our life right here. Maybe the people we're so familiar with that they're sort of hard to love sometimes. Or maybe we have it the other way around. Maybe... We're so focused on loving the people that are right here that can love us back. The people that are, that are a little bit easier to love, that are within our comfort zones, that we forget the people out there, outside of our comfort zones, outside of our friend circles. You know, there's a, a wonderful saying that says, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Where do you struggle? Do you struggle with being indifferent to the people that are close to you? Or do you struggle with being indifferent to the people that are hard to see, that are outside? Kindness is hard sometimes. Sometimes kindness is one of the most challenging things that we can give, especially when someone's unlovable. But isn't that what the story of the Good Samaritan is about? It's not the, called the—this is so in my way. It's not called the story of the good person. It's called the story of the Good Samaritan because Samaritan and Jews hated each other. Right? Y'all know the story. You have this Jew that's beaten up on his travels, and this Levite comes by. He sees him. He's like, whoa. Um, and he walks around the other side of the road. And this priest comes by, the person who should care the most, and he crosses the other side of the road. And then you have the Samaritan, the person that the Jews hate. And the Samaritans hate the Jews, and he crosses the street to him. This is not a story of we should be nice to people who are hurting. This is a story that we should be kind to the people that are hard to love, impossible to love. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this very topic. This is so great. It's in the book, Mere Christianity. If you haven't read it, I dare you. Dive into it. Read it slowly. It'll change the way you view Christianity. But he says this about Christian love. Christian love, pay attention, either towards God or towards man, is an affair of the will. Not feelings, not emotions. It's an affair of the will to be intentional on purpose. If we're trying to do his will, we are obeying the commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. He will give us feelings of love if he pleases. We cannot create them for ourselves. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. Isn't that great? As soon as we do this, we may find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. Isn't that beautiful? We have to stop wondering if our emotions are saying, yeah, I do love this person, and just act as if we do because we're being obedient to the Lord that we love God and we love people.
people. It's so beautiful. I love this little poem. And it's a great way to close out this thought on kindness. It says this, I have wept in the night for the shortness of sight that to somebody's need made me blind. My short-sightedness made me blind. But I never have yet felt a twinge of regret for being a little too kind. May that be us. May kindness be our character. Kindness reveals something about our hearts. May the character of Jesus overflow in us so much that loving kindness is what holds us like living stones together to be that glue, that mortar. And when we're together, we have strength. We have power. We're hard to move. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 and 12 says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their work. For if they fall, just like these guys, one will lift up his fellow. Did anybody lift up their fellow or was it just madness? Good job. Good job. Well, you got to do what you got to do. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to them who is alone when he falls and doesn't have another to lift him up. And though a man, an enemy, a bad guy might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. You know what? A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Paul writes about the church like this. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, just as the body, talking about the physical body, is one. Like I have one purpose. If I'm going to choose to walk that direction, my whole body goes that way. It's not like my arm takes a, a hard right turn and goes that way, right? Like one purpose, one direction, one body, just like the body is one and has many members. I have many parts, the eyes, my hands, my kneecaps, lots of me working together. Though many, they are one body. And so it is with Christ. This is his church. For in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free. That's an easy way of saying everybody who's a Christian. And all were made to drink of one spirit. And then he goes on to do something really interesting. He has two different paragraphs. And the first paragraph says, the foot can't say to itself, because I'm not a hand, then I don't belong to a part of the body. You have like the foot having like this internal dialogue. And I'll bet you right now amongst COVID and the hurricane and maybe some of us in here, maybe we've had some similar conversations that would challenge us to isolate from the body of Christ. Like, oh, I can just watch live stream. Or, you know, there's this other preacher that's way better. It's okay. I can submit to that. You know, maybe, maybe there's people there at Elevate that I just don't get along with very much. They're hard to love. They're hard to show kindness to. Or maybe it's just, I have so much else going on in my life. Or, you know what, because I'm not like him or I'm not like her, I, I just don't belong there because I'm not on the worship team, because I don't talk from the stage, because I'm not giving high fives or I'm not working media, because I don't have a certain role, I don't belong. It's like this challenge to isolate, to separate off of the rope team. There's a whole lot of Christians that are separated from the rope team. And Paul is calling us to clip in. Now, there's another dialogue that goes on, and it's between the eye. And he says, maybe the eye will say to the hand, I don't need you. So the first you have the foot having an internal dialogue. Maybe I don't belong. And then you have this external dialogue of two different people, two different members talking to each other saying, you're not good enough to be around here. We don't need you. 
So we have external and internal pressures pushing us to unclip from the team that supports us, from the team that is led by Jesus in a certain direction, the the body of Christ moving towards God's will. It's fascinating how it's written. There's a great, great illustration. There was a, a company that had about 35 employees And the manager realized that all the employees were beginning to work selfishly. They were just trying to to promote themselves and only trying to look good, and they weren't working together. So the manager, in infinite wisdom, had them do an exercise. They cleared the cafeteria. They pushed the tables and the chairs to the wall. So it's just this big, empty space. And whenever the 35 employees walked in, there were these balloons bouncing around on the ground everywhere. Lots and lots of different colors of balloons. But in the middle of the room was a box full of uninflated balloons. And the manager called the whole team. And he said, look, I'd like you to take a balloon, inflate it. And here's a Sharpie. Write your name on the balloon and then send it away. And he let all of them do this until they had blown up 20, 30, 40 balloons each. And the manager took them all outside. And he said, this is what we're going to do. Phase one is you're going to go back in that room. And I want everyone to try to find balloons with your name on it. Now, there are hundreds floating around in there. And so I'm going to give you 10 minutes. Try to find as many balloons as you can with your own name. And the 35 people go into this room, and at the end of 10 minutes, only a handful had even found one or maybe two balloons with their own name on it. All right, the manager said, let's go back outside. Phase two is this. We're going to go back in there, and you're going to grab any balloon, and you're going to give the balloon with that name to that person. And within two or three minutes, every member of the team had two or three or four or five balloons with their own name on it. The body of Christ cannot function as individuals. It will break down. We are called to be this rope team moving somewhere, going somewhere, taking on new heights, following our Lord. We're meant to be clipped in and we're meant to be pursuing the benefit and the health of the whole body. And together we're stronger. We work together. And that way, no individual is limited by their gifts and talents and strengths. We now have the power and the talents and strengths of the whole. There's nothing that can't be done with that kind of power. But we have a purpose. We're not just here to take care of each other. We're here to care for each other as we go somewhere. The verse that we opened up with says that we were being built so that we could offer sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices. That's code language for we're going to give God glory. We're being built for the purpose of glorifying God, appointing everything towards our creator whose love is so extravagant that the whole world needs to hear about it. And we have three purposes together. Our rope team is going in one direction with three aspects. Three togethers. And the first together is this. We praise together. We worship together. The word worship comes from the idea of worth-ship. You worship what has high worth. So you have to ask yourself, what in your life has the greatest worth? Because that's what you're worshiping. What do you place the highest value on? And as God's people, we place the highest value. All glory, all worth is laid at the feet of the King of glory, of the King of kings. And that's the direction that we're going in. We're giving him praise. 
Did you know that all the Psalms, all 150 of them, every one of them were meant to be a, a song sung by a congregation of people. It is the body of God, the body of Christ, worshiping to Yahweh, every single one. That's why you read Psalms like, like Psalm 95, excuse me, Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Jesus picks up on this. Jesus, how should we pray? Pray like this. Our Father is a congregational prayer. We work together. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. We are the body of Christ. We are living stones held together through God's loving kindness in us with great strength for the purpose of praising the God of gods and the King of kings. In short, the family that praises together stays us together. Womp, womp, womp. I could hear your eyes squeaking as they rolled in your eye sockets. The second thing that we do together, we praise together and we hurt together. We put our arms around each other. We spend late hours into the night with each other. We cry together. We share in each other's burdens. We're called to be a people of compassion. The word compassion, think about this. We'll break this up. The word passion comes from the root word of suffering. What you're passionate about is what you're willing to suffer for. If you're not willing to suffer for it, you're not passionate about it. And then come means together. We suffer together. That's what compassion means. To have compassion on someone is to suffer with them. You're hurting. I want to hurt with you. Let me carry some of this with you. That is compassion. 1 Corinthians 12, 26-27 says, If one member of this body, if, this, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually you're members of that one body. Think about what you guys, what Living Word Church has done over the past three weeks. You hurt with people. You suffer with people. Eli gave a testimony of praying with people way out of a comfort zone. You guys have seen tears, especially that first week when people were coming out of genuine need. I've, I've so enjoyed hearing the stories, wished I could be with you. You guys had compassion on people. Those who are going to Dulac in the next couple of days. I'm going to go hurt with people. For those of you who are going to be on the teams going out over the next weeks or months to help people in their homes, you're going to hurt with them. You're going to pray with them. I hope that you feel it deeply. And if you don't feel it, you're going to love like you act like it. Because we're being obedient to the Lord to love with our hands, with everything that we are. Aristides was this Greek guy who lived in Athens right there at the birth of the church. Listen to what he wrote about Christians. Christians having compassion. This, this should challenge all of us. He's writing about the Christian church. When there is among them a man or a woman that is poor or needy, and if they do not have an abundance of necessities, so they see someone who's needing and they themselves don't have enough, they will go without food 
two or three days so they may supply the needy with necessary food. Such is the law of the Christians, and such is their conduct. I don't know about you, but I'm like, okay, here's enough for my family, and whatever I have left, yeah, I'll give that away. But they're saying, no, we will go without food two or three days so that they can have food. That's compassion. That's hurting with someone. You're hungry? I'll go hungry. I'll go hungry so I can share with you. That is who we're called to be. We're called to praise together. We're called to hurt together. And we give God glory when we do this. And third, our third together is that we labor together. We work together. We lock arms and we climb something. And hopefully we have a lot more teamwork and compassion and kindness than you guys did. We lock arms and we're going somewhere together. We work, we sweat, we bleed, we cry together as the body of Christ. This is who we're called to be. This is what gives God glory. James 2, 14 through 16. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? He doesn't have action. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that are needed for the body, what good is it? I'll answer that question. It's rhetorical, but I'll answer it. It's no good. It's worthless. It's garbage. There's no point in leaning out to someone and saying, hey, hope everything works out for you. That's the Levite. That's the priest that passed on the other side of the road. Oh man, that guy's hurting. I'll pray for you. Compared to the Samaritan that kneels down and takes on some of this guy's blood on his cheek to get him onto his donkey, to spend his money to have him taken care of. We are a people that labor together. James continues by saying, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, if it doesn't have action, it is dead. It is not real faith. It is false faith. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You can have perfect theology. You can have it all figured out. You can sit in church until you're sick of church. You can listen to podcasts and worship music all week. But if you are not willing to put what you believe into application for the benefit of others, it is dead faith. James essentially is saying, you can say that you love Jesus all day, but I'm going to go off to love people because that's where Jesus would be. And to quote that great philosopher Rachel Dawes from Batman Begins, it is not who you are underneath, it's what you do that defines you. Our mutual labor brings health to the whole body. We give God glory when we praise together. We give God glory when we hurt together. And we give God glory when we labor together. And it won't be easy. I don't know, maybe some of you guys, after two or three days of working here, dawn to dusk, maybe you guys got tired. Maybe your attitudes changed. Maybe it stopped being about, oh, I want to do this because people are hurting. and I love Jesus and I want them to see Jesus in me. And it was just like, get out of here. Here's the next case. Maybe you met some bad attitudes. Maybe you met people that were just ungrateful and you're just like soured by the whole thing. Anybody? Did y'all experience that at all? I don't know. I deal with it. As soon as I see one that's somebody that's ungrateful, I'm like, I don't want to do anything for you anymore. 
It takes intentional perseverance to continue to be loving and to be kind even whenever we're just tired. Our attitudes are worn down. We're psychologically broke. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary in doing good. Why? What can we remember? Because in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Family of Christ, let's go. Let's pull ourselves up. Let's lean into the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Let's get our our focus reoriented to the purpose that we're doing this every day. We are building up a spiritual house for Jesus so that we can give him glory. There's a beautiful story of persistence. There was a little girl born back in the 1800s. And there's, I mean, there's plenty of people that have had this. But she, she fell to an illness at 19 months old that robbed her of her eyesight and her hearing. She was a baby. She grew up not knowing anything, not having any memory. Can you imagine for just a minute not being able to process the outside world with sight or sound? completely imprisoned in darkness and quiet. No one knew how to reach this little girl. She was hopeless. She couldn't learn. She couldn't communicate. She couldn't ask for things that she needed. She was hopeless. 17 years before she would be sick, there was another little girl, a five-year-old. And at five years old, She had a disease as well, a disease of her eyes that robbed her of her vision. She was almost entirely blind. Two years later, her mother died of tuberculosis. Two years after that, her father abandoned her, her younger brother, and her baby sister because he felt that he couldn't take care of them anymore. They moved this little girl, her name was Anne, into a homeless shelter that was part homeless shelter, part hospital. It was overcrowded, and it was underfunded, and it was just a ramshackle operation. And there, they tried two different eye surgeries on her. Both of them failed. And then four months after, actually four months after they got to this place, her little brother died of tuberculosis as well. Loss after loss after loss after failure. They tried another eye surgery, and that one failed. There were actually reports of this place that she was staying. It was called Tewksbury, And there were reports going out that the people living there were being abused cruelly. There was sexual perversion. There was even reports of cannibalism coming up against this place. And so some outside sources needed to come in and inspect and find out what was going on here. And one of the two people that came in to inspect was actually the founder of the Perkins School for the Blind. And this was the first time that Anne had ever heard of this. Well, in the, in the face of this inspection, they moved people out, and Anne was taken to another hospital. And it was a hospital where Anne finally felt like she belonged somewhere. She did everything she could to serve, and she made friends, and she helped with errands. And they, they tried another eye surgery on her, and, and that one failed as well. And soon, with the inspections being over, she was forced to go back to Tewksbury against her will. Under duress, she was forced to go back. And instead of lumping her in with the mentally insane, this time they lumped her in with the unwed mothers. And uh, yeah, and the, uh, yeah, those people. Sorry. I'm trying to get my facts together in my head. But as a second inspection came through, she begged the inspector, is there any way that I can go? 
to the Perkins School for the Blind. And he found a way and he got her in. And it was there that she had trouble making friends, but she made one friend. And it was a girl who was blind and deaf. And she was, this girl was the only person to ever be educated at this school. And they made friends. And Anne did exceptional there. There, she got a series of surgeries that actually gave her a good portion of her vision back. She graduated from Perkins School of the Blind as a valedictorian. And I want to read you an excerpt from her speech. Fellow graduates, duty bids us to go forth into active life. Let us go cheerfully, hopefully, and earnestly and set ourselves to find our special part, our special place. When we have found it, willingly and faithfully perform it. For every obstacle we overcome, every success we achieve tends to bring man closer to God and make life more as he would have it. After Anne graduated, she was contacted by the director of Perkins. There was a desperate father looking for a teacher for his six-year-old girl who was blind and deaf, just like Anne's friend. Anne went and met this girl, and no one could reach her. Nothing was working to get through to her. And Anne developed a way of touching her palm and spelling out words through taps and symbols inside her palm. And within six months, this little girl learned, I don't want to get it wrong, 575 words, some multiplication tables, and the Braille system. Within six months, Anne went on her behalf and got this little girl admitted into the Perkins School for the Blind. And together, as friends, she mentored her all the way through. This little girl grew up to be an advocate for the school to raise awareness and funding. That little girl, mentored by Anne Sullivan, was Helen Keller, the author, political activist, lecturer, and disability rights advocate. Theirs was a 49-year, lifelong friendship and journey together. And it's a story of Christ-like loving kindness and a story of persistence, of not quitting, even in the face of suffering, of adversity, of people saying that things are impossible. There were two women who praised together, who hurt together, and who labored together. God's people are not a people who give up. We are people who persevere. We don't grow weary in doing good because we know he's going to bring a harvest. So my question is, will you clip in? Will you be one of the ones that are on the outside of the, of the team, prey to slipping and falling, falling away? Will you be the ones that are going to clip into the body of Christ, to clip into Living Word Church or a church nearby, to clip into a youth group, a place that you can be supported and cared about by people? Are you willing to get outside of your comfort zone to love the people out there? Are you willing to love the people that are closest to you, to love people that are hard to love? Are you willing to clip into where Jesus is going? For further inquiry, you can chew on this question a little bit. How should Christians respond to beggars in the street? What's our role? How do we appropriately respond to them? You can talk about that later. Recap. We are like living bricks being built together into a spiritual house for the purpose of giving God glory. Christ-like loving kindness is the mortar, the glue that holds the bricks together. We have strength when we are together. 
We work together to give God glory in three ways. We praise together, we hurt together, and we labor together. And Jesus' followers persevere in suffering and adversity. Challenge number one for this week. Before you leave tonight, select, designate, grab a friend that sometime in the next seven days you're going to do a Bible study together. Whether you get together at a coffee shop, call on the phone, FaceTime, whatever you want to do, that's your challenge. Find one other person and, have a, and set up a time and a place you're going to have a Bible study this week. As a part of that Bible study, during your one-on-one time, I challenge you to be honest about hurts, habits, and hang-ups. To be real. To give each other the opportunity to have compassion. To hurt with each other. And third, to challenge each other to find a place that you can serve. Don't finish your Bible study without saying, how can we apply? How can we go? How can we love? How can we serve in the next week or so? Heavenly Father, this is all for your glory. We submit ourselves completely and totally at your feet. Lord, make us your spiritual house. Lord, receive every bit of glory that you can from from us, from flawed, selfish, twisted, motived people. Purify us. Lord, and I pray that you are working in every life and every mind tonight, that you are leading them as an epistle known and read by all men, as a high priest, a connection between people and God into different worlds, places that no one else can reach but them. And I pray, Lord, that as clipped in to your rope team, Lord, we will move together in your will that your kingdom of heaven would come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.